This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. After a year where there's been so much that has changed in our country, in our world, We've been in this series that we're calling Why Church? Because we don't want our understanding of what church is to ever change. We want to know what are the great and glorious purposes that God has for the gathering of his people, and that is what the church is. It's not a building, it is a people brought together through our faith in Christ. And so we've been going through this series that we're calling Why Church? So that we as a church can be re-envisioned for what God has for us as his people together. Also, we've been going through a series because the reality is we've had a lot of new people kind of start attending our church in this past year, and so we typically would have what we call a new members class, and just with all the different COVID restrictions that we're under, it was hard to find logistically a way to do that, so we're like, hey, let's just do our new members class on Sunday morning, and so our members probably need to be reminded of this stuff anyways, and anyone who's curious about uh, what we think about church membership and what the Bible says about that, we're just going to put it out there on a Sunday morning, and so if you've been kind of attending Christ Church, maybe you're, you know, relatively recently, or maybe for a while, uh, we would want to encourage you to consider um, what God's calling to you as far as your next step in, in your journey with Him. And uh, if you have interest just in wondering more about, you know, what it means to be a member at Christ Church, uh, we'd love to just engage with you in that process and talk to you more about that. And so if you actually go onto our website, um, which is just ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org, th- there's a, a link up top that says the hub. And the hub is simply what its name says. It's a hub for everything uh, that we have going on as a church. And so there's all kinds of different buttons you can click on to see the various things that we're doing as a church. One of the first things that you'll see, oh, we got a nice picture up there. That's great. Click on the hub, and you'll see that it says membership interest form. If you're just interested in understanding more about what it means to be a member at Christ Church, we'd love to get some information into your hands about that. And then also you can schedule an appointment with a pastor and we just love to answer any questions you have and just pray with you about whether it's here or somewhere else. Uh, we do want to see every Christian meaningfully connected to God's people. And so we'd love to be used by God for that purpose in your life. And so, yeah, if you've been with us for a while, please go on there and, and click on the membership interest form. And love just it doesn't obligate you to anything. We'd love to just get some information into your hands. Today in our Why Church series, we're going to be talking about our church's values. Our church's values. We have eight values as a church. Now, don't worry, this is not going to be an eight-point sermon. We're going to cover four of them today and four of them next week. I know it can be confusing sometimes, though, to be like, okay, we have a church mission and a church vision and a church values. Like, why so many different things that, that describe our church? Well, let me explain how these things work together. Our mission describes what we believe God has called us do. The the mission that God has given his church, our mission is to make new disciples of Jesus, to mature existing disciples of Jesus, and to multiply out into new churches across our city where other disciples can be made and mature. That is our what. That's what we're trying to do. Our vision describes how we want to do our mission. In a vision, you're what? You're seeing something. And so if we're seeing our mission being enacted, What does that look like? What's the vision for that? How do we get this mission done? Well, we exist to make mature and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ 
And we think this happens through teaching people to love Christ, love each other, and love our sin. We're greeted by our vision every time we come through these doors. And we're sent out by this vision every time that we leave. It's written right over above our doors strategically. We exist to love Christ, love each other, and love our city. That, that, that's, our, that's our vision. So our mission is what we want to do. Our vision is how we think God's called us to do that. Our values, then, are the things that articulate what is important to us as we pursue this mission by applying our vision. Values are just what we want to have mark our culture, if you will, as a church body. It's kind of like family values, right? Every family has different things that they value. Every family has their own kind of distinct culture, if you will, things that are important to them. And so when I started dating my wife, Angie, and I invited her over to our family dinner for the first time, there were some things I had to let her know about Betcher family values, Betcher family culture. Betcher's value being loud. We believe God gave us a mouth, and so we're going to use it to the glory of him. And so we talk a lot, and we talk loudly. We usually talk over one, over one another. We interrupt each other all the time. Communication in the Betcher household, it really becomes almost survival of the fittest. Like, who's going to be the strongest and loudest and get their point across? That, that's, that's what happens at our dinner table. We talk a lot, and we talk about everything. We have conversations. There's no holds barred, no, nothing off limits. You know, we, we don't believe in boundaries. And so, you know, some families can have the elephants in the room that are there, but you don't talk about. We believe in taking a rifle out and just shooting that elephant in the head. Like, we just, we talk about everything. And so I had to warn her for that. I had to get her ready for, to experience that. Well, here at Christchurch, we have certain family values. We have certain things that we care about. Hopefully things that are less obnoxious than some of my family values. As a church, we value these eight different things. We value gospel centrality. We value community. We value mission. We value serving. We value diversity. We value equipping. We value an urban imperative, and we value the next generation. If people spend time with us as Christ Church, it is our hope that these eight things kind of come out in various ways to you. We hope that these things are, are clear to you, that these are things that we really want to have marked our church culture. And so today we're going to get over the first four. Gospel centrality, community, mission, and serving. And typically it's our passage to, to practice to get into one you know, book of the Bible and go through it systematically. However, there's not one scripture that captures all these values uh, and so I can't point to one text that this comes from, but I can point to our text today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that I think gives us a framework through which we should think about every value that we have. Let's read together in God's word in verses 1 through 4 of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. This is what God inspired his servant Paul to write to the church in Corinth for their invocation and for ours. Now remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Praise God for his holy 
inerrant and authoritative word. May God speak to us now through the preaching of his word. Amen. Our first value as a church is we value gospel centrality. As Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, he makes it very clear to them what is supposed to be of first importance. He says what is of first importance is the gospel. That word gospel means good news. He then leaves no mystery as to what this good news is. He says in verse 3 and 4 that the good news is that Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was raised from the dead in accordance to the Scriptures. And so I think a helpful way to remember what the Gospel is, is by making a fist. There's five points to the Gospel that make one powerful fist. Here's what it is. Christ died for our sins, and He was raised, and He was raised. Christ there is only one true God. God the Father said in the Old Testament that there was going to be an anointed one. The Hebrew word Messiah, what gets translated in the Greek as Christ. God the Father was going to send a Christ, the Christ, to be the anointed one, to be his Messiah for his people. God the Father sent Christ. Jesus, God the Son, came to be the Christ. He came to accomplish all that the Father had called him to do. But he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we say that word Christ, we're reminding ourselves that our God exists as one God in three persons. There's the Father who sends the Christ, Jesus who is the Christ, and the Holy Spirit who empowered the Christ. We have one God who exists in three persons, which is glorious and beautiful. Because you know what this means? God is and always has been love. Because there was never a time where there did not exist someone for God to love. God is eternally loved because God has always existed as a triune being, and the Father has always loved the Son and the Spirit. The Son has always loved the Spirit and the Father, and the Spirit has always loved the Father and the Son. God has always existed as a love relationship within himself. This is why God is always loved. This is all that we're reminding ourselves in, in Christ. Christ. The Father sent Jesus to be the Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ died. In order to die, you first have to live. And so our God came and put on flesh because the only way for the mortal to be killed was to put on mortality. Christ died. He came to die for a purpose. Christ died for something. This was intentional. This was purposeful. As Jesus was dying, God was not wondering what was going on. No, God was seeing the plan that existed from eternity past. He was seeing that put into action. People meant Jesus' crucifixion for evil, but God had purposed that evil for also good. And so Christ died intentionally. He was born to die. Christ died for a reason. What's the reason? Well, before we even get to the reason, we need to see who he died for. Christ died for our. Christ died for our. God is not an impersonal being. As we heard in that beautiful testimony today, God knows us by name. He died for a purpose, a purpose that has to do with us. He died for our. He knows us. He's personal to us. He died for our sins. 
To sin, that word means to miss the mark. It was an ancient archery term where you'd have a bullseye, and however far off you were on from that, off from that bullseye was marked by sins. It's marked by unit of measurement. God has created us for the bullseye of living for him. We are meant to be, as God's creation, those who live in obedience to God because we think God is so glorious, why would we want to listen to anyone else? And so that's what life is meant to be about. It's meant to be honoring God through obedience to God, but that is not how we live. No, we are born in sin. We're born missing that mark. We're born missing the bullseye for which we were created. Instead of living to honor God and worship him, instead we live for the trinity of self, of me, myself, and I. We live to go our own way, not necessarily doing bad things, just doing our own thing. This is what sin is. And God is very clear that the wages of sin, what our sins earn from God, what God pays out for sin, the wages of sin is death. Because when God gives life to be lived for him and we use that life for the purpose of living for ourselves, God's justice requires that he take back that life that he gave. This is our sins. Sin deserves death. But Christ died for our sins. Jesus came to give his life for ours. He came to die the death that we deserve. Not just the physical death on the cross. He came to endure all of God's punishment for our sin. My sin and the sin of anyone who believes in him. Christ died for our sins. He is hanging on that cross for each one of us. But Jesus didn't just die. Because the reality is, many people have died by crucifixion. If Jesus only died on a cross, there would be nothing unique about his death. But Christ has died for our sins, and then he did not stay dead, but rose in glorious power from the dead to prove that he truly is the Son of God. He truly has conquered death, and there really is new life for anyone who would believe in him. Friends, this is the glorious gospel. This is the good news of who Jesus is. Christ has died for our sins. This is what we celebrate. This is what is to be of first importance to us. And when Paul says that this is what is to be of first importance to us, he's not saying that, okay, this is the first thing. We kind of check that off, then we go to everything else. No, the gospel is meant to be first to us in the sense that once we get the gospel, once we believe in the gospel, the gospel is like the first flavor you put in a stew, where every other flavor that then gets added is defined by that first flavor that you put in. And so valuing gospel centrality means that we want the gospel to be the flavor that defines everything about who we are and what we believe and what we do as a church. We want the gospel to inform every doctrine that we hold. And so our doctrine of Scripture, that God's word is inerrant, infallible, sufficient, and authoritative. It is without error and full of his authority. It is God speaking to us. We believe that. Why? Because this is the word of God that shows us the gospel. 
If we lose this, if we start to edit this, if we start to take things out of this book, then we lose the good news of who Jesus Christ is. It's the gospel that's at the heart of our doctrine of Scripture. It's the gospel that's at the heart of our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because the gospel says that, uh, the Bible says that no one can say Jesus is Lord. No one can believe in God except from being spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit of God. And just as we are then spiritually reborn by the Spirit of God, we're commanded in Ephesians chapter 5, 18 to continue to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're told in Galatians to walk by the Spirit. And so we want to pursue the filling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that He gives. All of the gifts that exist in the New Testament are necessary for knowing Jesus Christ and being filled with Him because Ephesians chapter 3 tells us, what does the Holy Spirit do? What do all the gifts that he gives the church, what do they do? They strengthen us to know what is the height, width, length, and depth of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. And so we believe in our doctrine of the Holy Spirit because it takes us to the gospel. How we read the Bible takes us to the gospel. Jesus said all of scripture is about him. And so we are not properly understanding any Bible verse if we're not seeing how it connects to Jesus Christ. If we walk away saying, I'm going to be more courageous like David, we're missing the point of the story of David and Goliath. It's not a call for us to have greater morality and just be more courageous. No, it is a picture of how Jesus Christ is our champion, and he stepped forward to win a battle that we could not fight for ourselves by taking out the giant of sin, Satan, and death and defeating them once and for all. We haven't read the Bible until we've seen how it's connecting us to Christ. It's taking us to the gospel. Every Sunday service is informed by the gospel. We sing songs that point us to the truth of what God has done for us in Christ. We pray together as a church because the gospel gives us access to the very throne room of God. We celebrate things like baptisms as we celebrate gospel fruit in someone's life. In our preaching, we always want to come back to the gospel. We want to see Jesus on every page. This is why we always close our service by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Because everything we're doing in our Sunday service should be leading us to that great climatic moment where we come together and we remember by feeding on Christ's flesh and drinking of his blood spiritually, we are nourishing ourselves in the truth of all that God's done for us in the gospel. The gospel is central to everything. It's central to all our relationships. We love other people. Why? Because we've been loved by God. We're patient with other people. Why? Because God's been patient to us in Christ. We forgive other people. Why? Because we're those who've been forgiven. How we view our jobs is informed by the gospel. Christ shed his blood for people. Nothing more valuable has ever been given in the history of the world than Christ's very own blood. And he gave that for people. You know what that says? It says that people are valuable to God. And so when you go to work, who you work with and who you work for is someone that God considers valuable. And so we are then called to work with excellence. The gospel shapes how we wake up and go to work on Monday mornings. Friends, it is the gospel in all of its cosmic eternal glory that is meant to be central to every moment of our lives. And when we fail to keep the gospel central, 
when we allow other things to crowd out the gospel in our hearts. When we allow our sin to keep us from believing that we could possibly be saved by the Savior. It's the gospel that reminds us that that's not true. It's the gospel that reminds us that we can come and confess ways that we've been wrong. And no matter how many times we confess, no matter what we confess, as we sang earlier this morning, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. It's the truth of the gospel. We need the gospel when we fail to keep the gospel. The gospel is present in everything we do. And so as a church, friends, what we want to do is we want to again and again and again hold up the gospel. We want the gospel to be like our sun. The sun is the center of the galaxy, which keeps everything else in orbit. We want the gospel to be the center of our church, which keeps everything else in orbit and informs everything about who we are. Christ died for our sins and was raised. Hallelujah. This is gospel centrality. Value number two, community. The Bible is clear that the gospel that brings us into relationship with God is also meant to bring us into relationship with one another. The Bible says that to be a Christian is to be a member of Christ's body. The Bible says to be a Christian is to be a member of Christ's family. God's our father, but guess what? we got a whole lot of brothers and sisters. And so being a Christian is never meant to be a solo endeavor, but it's meant to be lived out in community with other Christians. We are commanded into this community. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, tells us, let us not neglect our meeting together. God tells us to do this not because he is trying to get some kind of attendance count, but because he knows that he created the church to be the very body of Christ. And so a Christian by himself is a body part that's severed from the rest of the whole body. And let me tell you, you cut off a hand, that hand is no longer alive and well. We say sometimes in our culture, well, it's just me and Jesus. Let's be very clear. Jesus never intends it for it to be just you and Jesus. And if it is just you and Jesus, it's not going to be you and Jesus for very long. Because we cannot survive and thrive in our spiritual life by neglecting the commands that Christ has given us to pursue vitality in our spiritual life. Being together. And through being together, what, why do we need to be together? Well, Colossians 3.16 tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. See, as we gather together, the word of Christ dwells in us as we teach and admonish one another. This is what we do as a community. We take, we take the word of Christ, we take the life-giving word of the gospel given to us in Scripture, and we share it with one another. So what we do is we gather on Sundays. This isn't just an individual experience that you're having. No, we are gathering together as a community and as we sing songs with one another, as we talk to each other, we're encouraging each other in the gospel. This is why we gather together in small groups throughout the week. This is why we gather together in Bible studies. We want to be a church that celebrates community because it's in community that we experience the gospel. This is why we want just to encourage us just to have community in the normal rhythms of life. Right? Just how, how can I live life in such a way that I'm regularly rubbing shoulders with other Christians in my church so that they can encourage me in my faith? And so this past Monday night, I was at my son's soccer game, and there's people from the church there, and we're watching them play and just talking about life and how we're doing and what's going on and just caring for one another. It's a beautiful gospel experience. 
This past Sunday night, I had the opportunity to get together with some friends. We shared a wonderful meal. We had a lot of laughs, usually at my expense. Um, and then we just shared, talking about what God had spoken to us earlier that day during the Sunday service, encourage one another in the gospel. Every Friday, we have lunch together as a pastoral team, just to encourage one another in the gospel. You know, and I, and I know I'm mentioning a lot of eating. Uh, I think meals are actually a great time to build relationally. And, uh, you know, I do love to eat. I am a foodie. Um, but if you look at the Gospels, actually, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you'll see, Jesus is regularly eating with other people. There's just something unique about sharing a meal that helps build relationship with each other. And, uh, and I think, actually, you know, we're always reminded that we need to eat. Like, we forget to eat. Like, our stomach will remind us pretty quick, right? I've never forgotten a meal in my life. Um, and actually, I usually double up on meals. I love Lord of the Rings. One of the things I love about the Lord of the Rings is how they talk about first breakfast, second breakfast. So, you know, I'm all about that. I'm all about multiple meals. Well, what's great about multiple, you know, having meals is that it's a constant reminder that, hey, who else can I eat with? Like, when I think about eating, I don't just think about feeding myself. Who else can I enjoy that with? It's just a natural rhythm of life, something we do every day anyways. Might as well include someone in that. So, for example, a couple weeks ago, um, you know, I was like, hey, man, I got a really, really packed schedule. It was really hard to fit any you know, community time in that week. It's so many things going on. But I was like, you know what, doggone it, I got to have community. And so I need to eat. I know that I'm going to be eating at least for 45 minutes to an hour because I take my time and enjoy my food. And so I'm just going to invite like two people over and uh, I'm going to have to kick them out because I have a meeting later on that night. So this isn't going to be some like big formal affair. Like we're just going to come in, we're going to break some bread together and then I'm going to tell them to hit the road. And we did. And it was great and glorious. You know, what are the normal rhythms of life that we can have to experience community? Now, now, obviously, I say all that recognizing that we're in a context where COVID has made community very challenging. Um, but I think even in the midst of that challenge that we need to understand that our values should inform how we respond to challenges. And so when I was eight years old, I was diagnosed with a disease called Crohn's disease. And uh, when I received that diagnosis, a member from our church who had gone through a similar type of disease just took me aside and, uh, and wanted to just give me some encouragement. And one of the things that he said to me is he said that you need to understand, now that you have this diagnosis, you're going to face various health crises over your time. He just laid it out, laid it out to me. Yeah, you're going to be in health crisis multiple times. And people do die from the disease that I have. And he said, when you're going through that crisis, you need to remember, no matter what challenge you're facing, you have a choice. You can either be defined by your challenge, or you can be revealed by your challenge. And here, here's what he meant by that. He's like, you can be defined by the challenge and allow the challenge to dictate your choices and feel like, man, I have no choice, I have no options, I have to do this because of what I'm experiencing. You can be defined by the challenge, or you can say, by the choices I make, I'm going to actually reveal what's most important to me. I'm not going to be defined by the challenge. I'm going to allow my values to dictate how I respond to the challenge. Eight years old, and I never forgot that. I never forgot that. It made a huge impression on me. And so I think the point is, if community is a value to us, this crisis that, that we've been in, and by the grace of God are coming out of, um, hopefully soon, uh, this crisis should not change that value. Rather, it should reveal that we do value it because we find creative ways to pursue it. None of us should have put community on pause because of COVID. If we are, we're allowing COVID to define our values instead of our values to reveal how we're responding. Now, I say that recognizing that every week we're you know, someone who's like coming back to church for the first time or tuning into a live stream and like, oh man, I haven't been in community at all, and thanks for this kick in the pants. You know, um, this is why we started with gospel centrality. 
Right? God loves you not because of how faithful you are in community. God loves you because what Christ has been done for you on the cross. And so you are loved and accepted by God because of Jesus. But as we think about all that God has done for us in Christ, that is meant to then empower us to value the things that Jesus says are important for us, namely community. And I care about this value so much, not just because it's, it's biblical, I mean, obviously that's reason enough, uh, but also because it's personal. I'm here because my grandfather, who was the first Christian in our family, my family was not a long history of Christians, my grandfather was the first Christian, and when he became a Christian, he made a decision to put down roots and go deep into a church community. He had been on the fast track of corporate life. He had an MBA from Harvard, incredibly uh, intelligent, and, um, but, but being on the fast track of corporate life, he was moving every two to three years. And when he became a Christian, he knew that you can't build relationships if you're constantly moving around. You need to have roots and go deep. And so he actually turned down promotions so he could purposely choose to prioritize having his family in a solid, healthy church. And I love to say God blessed him and he still became a CEO. That's actually not true. He never became a CEO. He never achieved that dream. But there are now multiple generations of his family who are following and serving the Lord. And I can tell you, he doesn't regret his decision for a moment. We want to be a church that values community. But, but then we do this not just so that we can build relationships and stay spiritually strong ourselves, but so that we can use the spiritual strength for the purpose that God intends. And so this takes us to the third value, mission. We value gospel centrality, we value community, and we value mission. If life was just about us enjoying God, if it was just about me worshiping God, then, then why are we still here? Like, like, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to do a lot better job worshiping God and enjoying God when we get to heaven and are no longer held back by our flesh. Like, it's going to be glorious and great. So, so like, why are we still here? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 28, that he left us behind because he wants to use us to reach this world with the gospel. And he wants to use us to go deeper in our own understanding and application of the gospel with others. He left us behind because he wants us to share the gospel with those who do not yet know it, and he wants us to disciple one another with the gospel for those of us who do believe. In other words, he's left us behind because he's given us a mission. He's given us a mission to make new disciples by sharing the gospel, to mature existing disciples through understanding more of the gospel, and then multiplying out into new discipleship communities, into new churches where disciples can be made and matured. This is our mission. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. And we value as a church that every single member here would see themselves as an integral part of this mission. We all have a part to play. We, we play different parts, and what matters is not the part we're playing. What matters is that we're all playing a part. We all have a part to play. When soldiers go on a mission, they don't bring along tourists. They don't bring along people that are happy just to be spectators. No, they all have a part to play. They, there's the leader, there's the munitions expert, maybe a logistics person, a communications person. Like, they don't bring someone along who's just, I'm just happy to be here, you know? Like, what's your purpose on the mission? Oh, nothing, I just watch them do their thing and I get to eat the popcorn, you know? Like, they don't do that. They can't afford to do that. 
The mission is too important. Friends, as Christians, we can't afford to have any passive, popcorn-eating tourists that are there just to watch other Christians do the mission. The mission is too important. We all have a part to play. If you are a disciple of Jesus, that's because God wants to use you to make and mature other disciples of Jesus. We don't just live on our blocks. We don't just happen to work at our jobs. We don't just happen to be at the schools that we're at. No, Jesus makes it very clear in John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. We don't just happen to be in places. No, we've been sent by God into those spaces to be in those places, to be people who are there to advance God's kingdom purposes. You know, the Latin word for send is missio. It's where we get our word missionary. A missionary is simply someone who has been sent with a mission. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher who's often quoted from this pulpit, said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We are all living out of a sense that we have been sent by God or we're faking things. This is why we close our service here Every single week after we give the benediction, we don't say you're dismissed. We say you are sent in the name of Christ. Because what happens here is not meant to just stay here. It's meant to be sent with us as we go into our workplaces, into our families, on our blocks, into our schools, and seek to make new disciples of Christ and mature existing disciples of Christ. We leave here for a mission. There's a purpose to every single one of your lives if you place your faith in Christ. Now, as we say this, we want to be clear Part of having a value of mission means, by implication, that if we want to be missional, we always have to be adaptable, right? So if we have a mission, then there, at times, can be different things that, that don't change the mission, but change how we do the mission. So for example, we have a mission to disciple people. It's really important that we gather to do that. Well, we weren't able to gather in our building for a couple months. And so what do we do? That's not going to stop us. We're going to adapt. We start gathering underneath 95, Right? We start gathering outside. We're going to do that. We're going to continue to adapt. You know, as we're growing as a church, we can't all fit into one building at one time. All right, we're going to adapt. We're going to have two services. You know, as there was a need that we saw when COVID hit in our neighborhood, many people were vulnerable when it came to food provision. And so we started food distribution, serving people. I think we're something up to 30,000 boxes of food served now. It's, it's unbelievable. We saw in our church that we have a need for more discipleship in the Word, and so we just started a bunch of Bible studies. See, being missional means that we are constantly not changing the message of the mission, but instead constantly adapting new methods for delivering that message of the mission. And as I say that, I recognize that change can be hard. Change can be uncomfortable. So one of the fastest ways to shrink a church is to try to change things going on. Um, and if you've been part of our church for any length of time, you know that we're always changing things here. We're always adapting. Right? We're always starting new things and stopping them and doing new things. And let me just be clear, that's going to continue to happen. Why? Because we want to be missional. That means that we can't sell out for being comfortable. It means we have to be willing to leave our preferences at the door and come with the question of what is going to be best for making, maturing, and multiplying disciples at this time in this place. I never imagined that we would have multiple services. I grew up in a one-service church. I 
appreciate us all being together. But guess what? I want to leave my preference at the door. And if this is what God has for us in this time and this place, glory be to God, we're going to do it. Now, as we talk about community and mission, what should be clear is that we can't pursue either of those things if we also don't have a willingness to serve. And this takes us to our fourth and final value this morning. Serving. We value serving. Serving, biblically defined, is seeking to care for other people. Seeking to do good to others. And not in a way that we kind of just have like a checklist, oh, I did my good deed for the day. No, really, it's about embracing the identity that God wants us to have of being his servants. It's interesting, if you read the letters of Paul, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, how he would identify himself, sometimes he called himself an apostle, sometimes he called himself Paul, called by God. You know the most common way he identified himself? He tells us in Romans 1.1, a servant of Christ Jesus. He's called himself a servant. And that's how he would identify others. And so in Philippians chapter 1, when he talks about Timothy, who is with him, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He talks about Epaphras in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, Epaphras, our beloved servant. And this wasn't just a Paul thing. No, James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, says in James chapter 1, 1, James, a servant of God. Simon Peter, in 2 Peter 1, 1, doesn't say, hey, I'm, I'm the lead disciple. I'm the rock that Jesus said he was going to build his church on. No, that's not what he says. He says, Peter, a servant, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He calls himself an apostle. Notice what he calls himself first, a servant. Jude, who was the brother of Jesus. Like, if I'm the brother of Jesus, that's probably going on my resume. How does he identify himself in Jude chapter 1 1? Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus. The Apostle John in Revelation 1 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. You see, every leader in the church identifying themselves as servants. Why? Why are they doing this? Because they're following the example of Christ. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 and 45. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Jesus calls us to serve. And he says that actually serving makes us great. Why? Because when we serve others, we're following his example. We're following the one who came to serve us. We're following the one who did not come holding on to his rights and seeking what was best for himself. We're not following the one who came to fit us into his schedule when he could. No, we're calling the one who came and laid down his very life to do what was good at the cost of himself for others. Let's be clear, serving will always cost us something, but let's also be clear, it will never cost us more than what it cost Christ. And so as we serve others, we are following in the holy example set to us by Jesus himself. And we're saying with our lives that Jesus, you are so glorious. You are so wonderful. I so celebrate all of the treasure that I have in you that I'm gladly willing to spend myself in service to others. This is why we serve. This is why Jesus calls serving great. Because when we serve, we're not drawing our attention to ourselves. No, when we serve, we're drawing our attentions to Christ and how great and glorious he is and the riches of all that we have in him. And it's the riches of what we have in him that allows us to spend our lives 
for others. Traditionally, serving has actually been a real strength of our church. It's something I've been so privileged to see. COVID's obviously disrupted that, no doubt. Um, and so we used to have ministry teams, and then, you know, it was really, really well. Everyone in the church had a ministry they were part of, and then when new people would join the church, we plugged them in somewhere, and uh, it was just, it was working really well. Obviously, when COVID happened, we had to kind of reshuffle all that, and the ministry teams kind of blew up, and what we had is we just had a bunch of individuals stepping up and making things happen. And let me just be clear, church, there are men and women that we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude for. If you've been enjoying our church this past year, it's because there have been true heroes who have kept our church going. People have allowed the live stream and set the technology to get up. People who have, were setting up our outdoor service. People who are regularly doing all the cleaning that we need. Our ushers, our sound people, our music team. We owe people tremendous gratitude and thanks. However, there's a challenge right now where we have about 20% of the church doing about 80% of the work. That's a problem. Like, that's not, that's not a good thing. You know, we understand how we got here. It's not, you know, not throwing shade at anyone. It's just a reality where we're at. Um, but the reality where we're at is we have people who are actually serving every single week. Like, we had someone who just got done a stint of six weeks in a row. That's not good, and that's not sustainable. Typically, we ask our members to serve twice a month. Uh, we're obviously overheating on that. And so we know everything's been uh, disrupted, so we want to make it easy to re-engage. You're like, oh, man, I'd love to help out. What can I do? Make it really easy. You go to our website. Right, talked about this. You go to the hub and just click serve with us. Fill out that, that thing. We would love to get in touch with you and love to help you be able to experience more the value of serving. And we value serving not because we're just trying to get stuff done. We value serving because we want more and more people to experience the value of Christ. And so as we serve, we are valuing Christ by following his example. Or in other words, serving is about the gospel. And so we end now where we started. And all our church values, what we're seeking to do, really, we're just trying to articulate ways we want our church culture to reflect the gospel. We value community because of the gospel and how it brings us together. We value mission because of the gospel and the message it gives us to share. We value serving because of the gospel. Now Christ has served us. And so if there's one thing that we want to mark our church, we don't hide it. We actually put it right in our name. We are Christ Church because we always will be marked by Christ. Let's pray.